Hello and welcome to the Factory Founder Podcast. My name is Daniel Mison, venture partner at Founders Factory Africa. On today's episode, I'm looking forward to my conversation with Timbo Drayson, CEO and founder of OK High, who joins me in studio today on the Factory Founder Podcast. Welcome, Timbo. Good to see you again, man. Thanks, Daniel. It's great to be here. Yeah. Timbo and I have had quite a bit of history in our founder journey. We've built technology together. We've seen each other come up through the different phases and climates of the Kenyan ecosystem. Fond, fond memories of the awesome networking events that you had at your office. (laughs) I always felt like that was literally its own micro mecca of what the tech startup was then, what the ecosystem was. So big big up to you and the team for making that happen. Yeah, thanks. Those are, those are good times. People yeah. still stop me in the street and be like, oh, those meetups, you're still doing them. They were everything, man. It was such a it was such a wonderful way to, you know, I remember the ecosystem starting off with like, you know, iHub with what it was. Mm. And then that graduated to, you know, sort of startups building their own ecosystems. And I think you really flew that flag well. So well done. So first things first for our audience, if no one has ever heard of OK High, what is it that you guys do? Could you describe its value proposition? So OK High is a digital addressing system and our core value proposition is to reduce fraud for financial services. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So, you know, when it comes to customer verification, it becomes a lot lot more complex as you go to different countries, different KYC documents that you need. You know, so so if you could maybe go into a little bit of the nuts and bolts just to to share how this this actually happens in practical terms. Sure. So to take a bit of a step back, like our, our mission as a business that has remained unchanged for the last 10 years is to enable half the world who don't have a physical address to be included. Mm-hmm. We believe it's a human right that mm-hmm. everyone should have a physical address that enables them to get access to critical services, Mm -hmm. whether that's opening up a bank account, getting access to loans, or getting an ambulance to your door. Mm -hmm. Based on an MIT report, they estimate that the world's economy suffers about $200 billion a year Mm. as a result of the lack of formal physical addressing system. Mm. And one of the key components and problems to that is at the end of the day, if there isn't an addressing system there isn't trust Mm -hmm. in an economy Mm -hmm. because how can you actually lend to someone if you don't know where they physically live? Exactly. And so the essence of what OK High and what we do today is we enable businesses to really truly know where their customer lives. Mm. And we use various bits of technology to enable that. Fantastic. So you've been at this for, I think, since 2014, uh, about to approach double digits. I remember... If I, if I remember correctly, around 2017 is when we were working together. And at the time, it was mainly, we were looking at OK High to help us with our deliveries. So, you know, ran an e-commerce business and we were looking to do, uh, you know, fulfillment. And so in your product life cycle, how did you get from that specific use case to, you know, having this very universal fintech sort of centered trust-based approach beyond something that, you know, delivery or e-commerce or m-commerce platform would do. Maybe you could share that journey for and, and give some learnings to some of our audiences to to see how they can be able to to mature, you know, within value various value propositions. So I think what's been really important is we've had this mission, mm-hmm. which is ultimately tied to a problem. And we've spent different ways of trying to solve this problem in different ways. Mm-hmm. Initially, our 
whole hypothesis was that we could ultimately verify people's addresses by capturing the delivery to the door. Mm -hmm. And then we would then be able to use that data to kind of then provide the address verification for financial services. Mm -hmm. That hypothesis turned out to be disproven, mm -hmm. really on the basis that it takes a long time to yeah. build a delivery network. Massive. And ultimately, if you're trying to sell an address verification solution to financial services, you don't want to have to wait to build a whole different business and network. Mm. So that's something that seemed obvious today, but I think we were surprised about how long it would take to build the solution through the delivery businesses. And so that led us to actually solve the problem in a different way today. Fantastic. Do you, would you say it was intentional or was it one of those sort of, you know, you were obviously, and I love the word that, that you used, it was a hypothesis. Mm -hmm. And typically on the product journey, you have a hypothesis, a problem you want to solve, and then you start running different experiments to see what actually has traction or not. So for this specific one that you're in right now, where I honestly, I feel like the main commodity here or the main value prop is trust mm. that any institution through OK High's lens can know that my son is my son, that Timbo is Timbo, yeah. right? So if I asked you this six years ago, would you have seen it in this, say, in this way? Or is this like where you are right now? Is this the eventuality of where you, you, you saw you'd be? I, th I think it's a bit of a both. Mm. I think we always saw that there was a potential there. Mm. But I think two things have changed on, on both sides. One is that on the problem side, it was only when we really started working closely with financial services that mm. we understood the depth and breadth of the problem. Mm. It's not just about fraud, it's about compliance. Mm -hmm. And what I also realized today mm. is that so much of building a startup is about timing. <laughs> and it mm. sounds obvious, but when we were initially doing the solving the problem for delivery businesses, you know, I remember we were having to get businesses to buy smartphones, train drivers, yep. how to use the smartphone, yep. how to use Google Maps. Yep. And yep. I think at the time I thought that this just means we're being really progressive. But actually, in hindsight, yeah. it's just that we were very early. Yeah. And that's very different to today what's happening. Because if you look at what's, what's existing in the world today, fraud is growing at an exponential rate. Mm. I actually think that this is... A, a sort of a global pandemic. Mm. We're part of Visa's accelerator program. Mm -hmm. They shared some data. Well, let, 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 let you guess. How much has fraud grown globally mm -hmm. on Visa's network from January 2022 to January 23 this year? So from pre-COVID to now, I'd say 100%. 100%, so like 2x. Yeah. It's 60x. Wow. And the reason for that is that AI is enabling anyone to impersonate anyone else. Anyone with a smartphone can wow. now create a deep fake and pretend to be via a video or whatever and hack into other people's accounts. Yeah. So fraud is escalating at a crazy rate. Yeah. And so suddenly mm. it feels like the timing is right for us mm -hmm. because the problem is escalating and suddenly you're seeing businesses really needing up our solution yeah. and that's changing month on month yeah. to that degree. So that's that's one part of it. Mm. The second part is on the solution side. Mm. We've had to iterate a number of times to find the right solution to the problem that's going to fit with our customers and that's taken a lot of time 
building and working with our customers, collecting their feedback, iterating, getting it wrong. Mm. I love Reid Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn's sort of famous quote, which is that if you're not embarrassed when you launch, <laughs> you've launched too late. Exactly. So we've, we've gone out and we've been very embarrassed by yeah. our products. Yeah. But that I think has also helped us get to where we are today. 100%. We, had, we used to have that quote as well in our team standups. Yeah. I really appreciate that tidbit in terms of the, rate, the increase of fraud. You know, COVID in itself was quite a leveler of sorts when it came to tech platforms in terms of, of course, tech adoption, digital platforms went through the roof in terms of contactless transactions, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I remember within organic growth within e-commerce, it just went through the roof and so did fraud, right? So, and, and now we're seeing it a lot. I mean, based here in Kenya, every second day you're hearing about, you know, either big telcos laying off employees or banks doing the same thing mm -hmm. because of some sort of, you know, fraudulent activities. And yeah. and, the, and the rate at which AI is, is, you know, sort of exacerbating that issue and it being a catalyst is just, you know, so uncanny. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I guess that obviously drives the stickiness that you would have, particularly with these financial institutions who want to go that much further in terms of reaching customers towards paperless onboarding, have much faster customer acquisition, being able to profile. So are these things that, you know, beyond just the trust element, could you maybe share some other value adds that our listeners could maybe take up if, if a prospective customer could, you know, sort of identify with? The big opportunity for physical addressing is that it cuts across the whole economy. Mm -hmm. And therefore, there are a very broad range of businesses that all need addressing in some shape or form. Mm -hmm. We've spoken about financial services needing to, it to reduce fraud. Mm -hmm. Another key use case is to enable compliance. Mm -hmm. Like they're actually regulatorily required to provide a proof of address. Yeah. There's a bit of a catch-22 though, is because the only way to really do that is to send a physical agent and that can cost, you know, we're operating mostly in Nigeria, thousands mm. of Naira, mm. which is like a few dollars. Mm. And that is just unscalable when you're onboarding millions of customers. Mm. But as you move across different parts of the economy, there are different use cases for OK High. If you go into the delivery and logistics space, the key thing is to ultimately enable faster checkouts, mm -hmm. better delivery operations, mm -hmm. reducing the number of phone calls and mm -hmm. friction for the customer mm -hmm. to be find them. There's insurance where ultimately insurance premiums are really based on where that person is, yep. not just in terms of the risk profile of the location, but looking at, for example, are they near a river that might be on a floodplain and that mm. affects your insurance premium mm. of where you park your car or your apartment mm. or whatever. Mm. Utility services, mm. they need to, one, have data to, they also have fraud where people are trying to take power or off the grid, et cetera, in illegal ways, but also just in the essence of trying to enable their engineers to just go out and efficiently manage call-outs. Yep is another use case. Yeah. Government services, obviously here in Kenya, e-citizen, mm -hmm. the equivalent in other countries, tying to ID cards. Mm. So there is such a broad range of use cases. Mm. And underneath all of that, there exists a value add around location intelligence. Because, mm. you know, if you ask any business where their customers are, 
most businesses in emerging markets can't answer that because yeah. they don't have that digital data. Mm. So they're missing an opportunity to be able to say, here are my customers, therefore this is where I should deploy more sales efforts, yep. or this is where I should, you had some great billboards, by the way, I loved your billboards in, <laughs> in Nairobi, you. but like, where would you, where should you place those billboards? Yeah. Yeah. You can use location intelligence data to be able to optimize that. No, it's, I think it's incredible. And, and the, the amount of use cases and how they just sort of spiral out in a positive way is fantastic. You've mentioned about operating in, so you've been in Kenya uh, and Nigeria, and now you're, you know, you're, you're looking at location-based verification and how this, you, you've talked quite a bit about regulation, mm -hmm. right? And so what what have the challenges been in terms of just making sure whether you're dealing with certain databases or parastatals or government entities, e-citizen or the equivalent of a population registry? What, what's that been like for you? Yeah, so, so firstly, we there is obviously a potential opportunity to mm -hmm. solve this problem through government Indeed. services. Yeah. But we've decided to make sure that initially we really solve the problem and move as fast as possible with private businesses. Mm -hmm. And that is ultimately because that's where we believe that we can move fastest, get the best iteration in terms of our products and feedback. Yep. You know, interestingly, we are, have operating companies in both Kenya and, and Nigeria. It's been very straightforward to open up businesses and ultimately sort of be compliant within those countries. Mm -hmm. Address verification and is part of a KYC, know your customer regulation yep. of any country, but it is enforced in different ways. Indeed. Part of the reason why we shifted our focus to Nigeria was because the KYC is enforced even more than in Kenya. Okay. And I'll give you some examples of how that actually materializes. So if I'm a bank in Nigeria, technically, like a bank in Kenya, I have to verify an address for my customers, especially if they have a certain amount of money in their account or wallet. In Nigeria, there are spot checks by the central bank who will come along and say, show me you know, that you've done the correct KYC for all these, all these addresses. And if they don't do that, then there are fines and sanctions around it. Equally, whenever there is a fraudulent case, the law enforcement are ultimately trying to identify who that customer is. And there's a long chain that the law enforcement are running through to ultimately identify and find the end customer through the different financial services that often these transactions being made through. Mm. So they'll turn up and say like, we want to know where this customer lives. And the banks don't know. Either because they did address the address verification, but the person's moved. Mm -hmm. Or which is the most likely case, they just didn't do the address verification and they've mm. taken this risk. Mm. That then actually can result in arrests mm -hmm. of the compliance officers in the banks wow. and also personal fines. So the acuteness of the problem is much higher in somewhere like Nigeria mm. than what we've observed in Kenya. Right. So that's sort of an interesting nuance that yeah. we didn't know at the beginning. Yeah. And as I said, when you kind of deeper into a problem, yeah. you're able to start seeing those nuances. Wow. So, okay, I mean, that's that's a fantastic example in terms of contrasting markets yeah. and, you know, product solving a need. That's, you know, I'm sure Bank A, Bank B, Bank C in Nigeria all feel the same pain point, right? Yeah. So previously, what was it? Uh, if I was in Lagos, I live in Victoria Island, I just, what, what do I just give a utility bill and that was it? Was that the only proof? So I'm trying to contrast what 
what the scenario was before and then what it looks like with OK High in the picture? So before OK High, the bank has three options. One is that they try and verify through document uploads. We know that over 70% of customers are not named people on utility bills for a number of reasons. And therefore, they only have at best a 30% success rate. Mm. But also, it's so easy to fraud. Yeah. So the second option is that you do agent verification, like I mentioned. That involves ultimately sending a physical agent. And in mm. a country like Nigeria, that can take weeks when people are in distant places. Yeah. It can cost a lot of money. And yeah. when we're seeing what we're seeing today with inflation, the challenges around fuel costs, et cetera, the cost of that is just growing and growing yeah. to the extent that it becomes uneconomical for the bank to do it. Certainly. So their third option is to do nothing. Yeah. And that is generally what the banks are doing and definitely the fintechs are sort of taking this risk. <laughs> so what OK High provides is a digital address verification solution. So we're a small bit of software that sits inside the mobile banking application. And as part of onboarding, the end customer creates a digital address using our interface where they drop a GPS pin. Mm -hmm. And then we use location data in the phone to be able to verify that the person is actually spending time at the address that they, that they say they lived at. We do this in a privacy sensitive way. So we only collect data when you're at the address that you shared. We don't know where you are when you're not at that address. And the real magic of the technology that is now leveraging um, AI machine learning is that we're able to periodically keep checking in. And that means that we get a signal when the person has moved address. It's like an individualized heat map. Exactly. Right. And so if suddenly we lose those data points, then we have a pretty good basis, basis that this person has now moved and we can tell the bank. Now, that is actually revolutionary, not just for... Africa, but globally. Yeah, I'm from the UK. The banks don't know where I am. Mm -hmm. Proof of address is outdated. You have to show a utility bill in the last 90 days. Right. Like, so what we're actually inventing here is something that is a complete leapfrog mm -hmm. in technology and experience. And I think that's something that really motivates me and the and the team. Well, I completely agree. I mean, it's a yeah, it speaks for itself and the amount of how much it is that you can, you can be able to de-risk and have this as something that can make sure that these your customers are serving their customers so much more efficiently it goes a long way. Um, I'm curious to see, to find out about your acquisition because you talked about private businesses, right? So what's what what does that look like? Is it a lot of, is it, you know, is it direct? Is it a lot of coaching? Is it product embedding? What does that look like? Yeah, so our core customers today are banks, mm -hmm. so big enterprise deals with long sales cycles that mm -hmm. we drive through direct sales, mm -hmm. and also fintechs, mm -hmm. who we also use direct sales and leverage also some more marketing activities, events, newsletters, things like that. Right. You know, interestingly, we're a new category of business that doesn't exist in the world today. And I think what I didn't realize early on in this journey was quite how much you have to do to educate your customer. <laughs> Sometimes about the problem. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when it yeah. becomes the status quo, yeah. the banks are like, well, this is normal for us to pay. Yeah. It is normal for a delivery business to lose 
you know, 30% of its time and operations to inefficiencies around addressing. Yeah. So one is educating them about the problem that, that this doesn't have to exist. Yeah. And then persuading that the solution that you have does actually work. Mm. Because there aren't use cases like we can point out that work in other countries in the world mm -hmm. where people can then have the faith that this is something that works. Indeed. Especially when it's tied to something like regulation. Yeah. So we've had to work very closely with the banks, the fintechs, the, the, the central bank of Nigeria to prove how well our technology works. And it was actually with a pilot that we did with Standard Bank that was driven by our investment from Founders Factory Africa. Brilliant. That enabled us to do a pilot where we A-B tested our digital address verification through compared to agent verification. And we were able to prove that we were 29% more accurate. Wow. We were four wow. times faster. And because it's digital, we can offer it 10 times cheaper. That's amazing. Have you, and, and, and thanks for that uh, shout out in terms of the partnerships that FFA normally brings in. You know. Super, super helpful. <laughs> we, we like, okay, hi, we've been through a number of accelerated programs. Yeah. Definitely FFA's had the highest ROI. I'm not <laughs> saying that just because I'm on this, on this podcast but it's been really high value and continues to be high value beyond the initial accelerator period. So yeah, we, we, there's a lot of love for FFA at OK High. Trust me, it goes both <laughs> ways, man. The, the one other sector I was thinking about is in, in insurance, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's, that's a pretty big one. Have you had some interest, particularly in Nigeria on this? Is, is there that much of a regulatory sort of strictness as, as you have within the banking sector? There is. Mm -hmm. We don't see quite the same level mm -hmm. but i think part of that is that insurance is actually i don't know how many years behind mm. but the insurance businesses are just seem slower to be adopting technology yeah so when you're trying to talk to them about the opportunity of digital location data and what that can do to insurance premiums and credit risk algorithms and things like that they're interested but i don't think that often the business is quite ready yet. Yeah. So we're seeing, you know, demand from insurtech, et cetera. But one of the challenges that honestly, I think I've personally faced as CEO of running OK High mm. is how do you focus? Mm -hmm. mm. You know, it's a great problem to mm. have when there's a lot of opportunity, but it's a du double-edged sword. Yeah. And I know that there have been plenty of times when one of the key reasons why the business hasn't moved as fast as we needed it to is because we were trying to do too many things at the same time. Yeah. And that ultimately came down to me and my leadership yeah. and not making sure that we're ruthlessly focused. Mm. So right now, insurance companies are sitting there on our list. Mm. We know there's some demand, mm. but we have 90% of the sales team and the product team focusing on banking and neobanks and that yeah. problem we've identified today where we see the most urgent need. Yeah. We still are talking to customers in sort of 10% to keep learning and identifying who's next. Yeah. But the majority of our time is focused on the banking sector. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that honesty, especially in terms of just knowing how much you can be your own bottleneck or your own sort of Achilles heel. But then the thing is, in terms of what to prioritize 
but you will always have what can be what what seems like a myriad of shiny objects but you never know which one of those could be the you know that sort of golden key quote unquote definitely right exactly and <laughs> uh, for a lot of the founders on this call you know as as the business grows that's a thing that you'll always have to you know want to make sure you're on top of and also make sure you have good co-founders yeah. who can call you out and Definitely. and and help you you know maintain your true north timbo i must i must admit man i have a lot of respect for the longevity that your business has had i have a lot of i i worked very closely with your team yeah. uh, my you know our tech teams and you know interacted quite a bit and what has been consistent in everything that you've said and what i've seen is this open-minded approach in terms of we are building a business right now that is centered around location verification however you know we don't know what else this can be right and and that's a, a thing i'm sure hopefully our listeners can can take home and say you know you don't always know you don't always have the full picture you know mm-hmm. what you know but you don't know what you don't know yeah. right and um, and i also really love that point in terms of education educating some of your customers in terms of the pain points right because you know is that that example of say 120 years ago you asked someone what what do they want they would tell you a faster horse because they didn't know that a car was yeah. a possibility right yeah. so so yeah man good job on that resilience and and i'm keen to hear just you know sort of as a parting shot now what just, just on that i i have a, i have an anecdote which yeah, sure. which which i think is been really helpful for for me and the team you know it's it's very normal for startups to be experimenting and sort of pivoting and trying different things but it's also really important to have your mission and your north star very clearly defined if you look at the addressing space there have been tens of businesses in different countries in the world that have all started and they have naturally ended up becoming sort of logistics and delivery businesses as they've kind of gone through and talked to customers and found demand beyond addressing etc we have very clearly from the beginning defined that mission that i said at the beginning to enable the 4 billion people without a physical address to be included and that has always centered us to make sure that decisions that we make are always tied towards that mission there have been opportunities where people have offered us investment money grant money mm. to do and explore different aspects of the business and it's been very hard to say no yeah. at those times yeah but it's also really helped there's also been times when we had created and we have a one metric that matters that I'd highly recommend every founder to define on the one metric that you're mm. going to focus on. Mm. I learned this the best way when I was at YouTube mm. which funnily enough was a complete mess. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um you can have these huge businesses on global scale <laughs> but inside there's just so much going on. Mm. Everyone was doing good stuff but no one really knew what was happening. Right. And suddenly the leadership team came back and said we've defined one metric that we want everyone to focus on yeah and we want there to be like a billion hours of youtube watched whatever it was per week or month right and suddenly that enabled the whole company to focus and decide well this isn't contributing to that so right. let's deprioritize this right. or this is so let's double down on it right so if we had a metric <clears throat> excuse me that was looking at the number of times an address was being used mm. and we were just focusing on that mm. and we started having a small equivalent of a google maps widget 
that people started embedding onto their website. And every time that widget loaded, we would get another hit. Mm. And so suddenly our metrics started growing and we we're like, whoa, this is amazing. Like yeah. we're off to the races. Yeah. But then we took a step back and we said, but we're not giving people an address. Our metrics are going up and to the right, mm. but mm. our mission isn't changing. And so we decided to cancel that product wow. and focus back wow. on how do we give people an address, not just enable people to look up, you know, businesses and where they are on, on, yeah. on, the, on their website. Yeah. So anyway, it's just sort of an interesting anecdote around that, how important it is to have that grounding mission yeah. to make sure that you do stay focused yeah. on that. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot in that sort of last minute that you just talked on that I think we could speak on for, <laughs> for a lot longer, yeah. you know, in terms of obviously lasering in on, on co-focus and also distraction from, you know, investors or grant donors. And to be honest, even in, in funding droughts like these, that that becomes so much harder to say no to. Definitely. Right. And, and as a CEO, you know, I know how hard it is when you've got, you know, X number of people on your payroll and you've got suppliers, et cetera. And this feels like almost like a gift from the heavens and yeah. like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. But that does take a cost, right? Of course. So, so no, I really appreciate that. And, and, and also in terms of that very tangible example that you've shared, there's something to be said about vanity metrics. Mm -hmm. And, and for me being a founder and now being on the other side, on the investor side, yeah. being able to discern between what's a real metric what's a traction metric and what's a vanity metric? Like, is this something that you're literally telling yourself? Yeah, <laughs> totally. And it's so easy to do that. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And sometimes you probably need that just to keep you going, Yeah. right? But ultimately in terms of, you know, founders and valuation and, and, and stickiness and retention and all those other metrics, it is important just to be as honest with yourself as you possibly can. Hey man, so as we wrap up, what's, uh, what's keeping you excited? What's, what's feeding you right now, Timbo? The mission is still feeding me. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's been a long yeah. 10 years yeah. and it's probably going to be another long, another 10 years. Yeah. But when there's something I just fundamentally believe that the world needs and how important it is to democratize access to services across the world, mm. to see the scale of the problem and impact mm. and the fact that the technology is here today to solve it. I think from the last 10 years, you know, I would say that we know more about how to solve this problem probably than anyone else in the world. Yeah. And, you know, we're just every day getting closer to figuring that out and to see the inflection point that we're going through right now as a business, it's incredibly exciting times. And we know that once we can solve and prove this works in Nigeria and Kenya, there are so many other markets, mm. not just in Africa, but across emerging markets. Exactly. Whether you're talking about Mexico or Indonesia or exactly. Saudi Arabia. So that's what keeps me going. Yeah, I've been dabbling in, in uh, dabbling is not a good word, but I've been in the fintech space, uh, mm. you know, after I left e-commerce and, and Latin America is definitely Huge. very much a mirror yeah. market when it comes to these sort of issues. Yeah. So I cannot wait to see you fly that okay high flag awesome in we'll any of those together. markets man hey for <laughs> we'll sure for together. sure for sure all right man it's it's honestly been such a pleasure brother keep going and and congrats to you and the team for all the metrics and and traction that you've had so far thanks yeah. well you know vice versa like we need more operators on the 
on the investor side in this ecosystem. Yeah. And for me, this conversation is totally different yeah. coming from you who's been there, done that. Yeah. So I'm excited that you're doing what you're doing and we need each other. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. We pay it forward, man. We pay it forward. All right. Timbo, once again, thank you so much for joining us on the Factory Founder Podcast. We are officially out of time. <laughs> I can see our producer looking at us. And with that, this is the Factory Building in Africa. Timbo Drayson has been the founder on today's show. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Daniel.